If we haven't met, my name is Matt, and I serve as one of the pastors here, and uh, so glad that you could be with us today and excited to open God's Word together this morning. In fact, if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and open them to Romans chapter 12, Romans chapters 12, and you can uh, just kind of put a thumb in there and hold that for a moment. We will get there in just a little bit. And by the way, if you don't have a Bible, we always put the scripture up on the screen for you to follow along. If you don't own a Bible, we would love to give you one, our gift to you. You can get one at the Connection Corner on your way out today. Just let them know you would like to have a Bible, and we would love to give one to you. Well, tis the season. The holiday season has arrived. And I don't know about you, but driving around town, I am starting to see some more Christmas lights popping up each night and uh, some more Christmas trees peering through some living room uh, windows. Uh, radio stations are starting to uh, you know, flip the, uh, the script into the 24-7 deck the halls kind of radio. In a few days, the Macy's folks will just inflate the huge SpongeBob and Spider-Man floats, and Peppermint Patty will invite her and her friends over to Charlie Brown's house for Thanksgiving, and hopefully you have really great solid plans for what you are going to do to gather around people that you love and just eat way too much food. Now, for some of us, as I describe the holiday weekend, you are filled with just joy and anticipation. It's the most wonderful time of the year. I mean, you are ready to go for it. Yeah, and some of you, as I sing that, maybe it's my singing, but maybe you're just offended because, no, it's not the most wonderful time of the year. You are bah humbugging deep down in your heart, just hardcore as we talk about the holidays. In fact, there are several surveys that show that over 60% of us find ourselves a little stressed out during the holidays, 60%. So Christmas fanatics, be warned, you are outnumbered, all right? So just be careful. I'm just saying, but every time a bell rings, an angel gets, like, shut up. Like, you just got to be careful. I'm just, I'm just telling you, watch out, watch out. Because this time can bring about tension for us. There's tension over the busyness of the holidays and tension over the hype of Thanksgiving and, and Christmas and certainly tension over some of the relational dynamics that this time of year tends to bring out for us. And, and if we're all honest, we, we can all relate to some tension in our lives, in our relationships, right? Because it's something that we all have. It's something that we all experience. Maybe it's your roommate. Maybe things started off really well, things were going great, and now you're learning that cleanliness is not one of their spiritual gifts. Like, it's, it's kind of starting to get gross, okay? You need to do something about that, all right? And uh, that is tension. Maybe for you, it's, it's a coworker who just religiously, routinely abuses the work, the break room by microwaving fish for lunch like once a week. It's, it's terrible and it just brings about tension. Maybe, maybe it's the, the teacher who just doesn't see eye to eye with you on your conviction, your view that the earth is flat. I mean, I don't know what her problem is. What's the big deal? <laughs> oh, we have a flat earth truther in the house. All right, good job. But that brings about tension 
tension. Maybe for you, maybe your friend just gave the sermon of a lifetime a couple of weeks ago. And when you shared a three-minute just teaser clip of said sermon on Facebook, people started taking it out of context and started talking trash. Oh, man, nuclear tension. This is all hypothetical, by the way, all right? So just... Just relax. Okay, um, maybe it's a boss, a boss that just keeps piling on work for you, but, but there's no sense of appreciation. Maybe it's parents who you're just in this struggle with over your freedoms and over your rights. Maybe it's the struggle over the newest love of your life. Maybe it's your spouse and just some of the pet peeves that are driving you up a wall. Tension is something that we all experience. In fact, there's no relationship that's immune from tension. Think about it. Every relationship is just one bad moment, one tough conversation away from experiencing some level of tension. So today we wanted to spend a little bit of time focusing in on the tension. Now, I used to uh, consult with this guy in a nonprofit organization, and his name was Jeff. And he was this really high-energy, high-spirited guy, talked a million miles an hour, bounced all over the place, just had a million ideas, and he was just go, 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 go. And it was always fun to meet with him, talk to him. He was super intense. And he had this one just go-to catchphrase, and I'm telling you, I heard him say it all the time, and it's just something that as a result stuck with me. Pay attention to the tension. Pay attention to the tension, Jeff would say. He'd say it all the time. You know, we'd be in a meeting where we'd be discussing a new idea and something just felt off. Something wasn't right. We hadn't quite hit the sweet spot of it. And he would say, pay attention to the tension. Guys, we gotta pay attention to the tension. What is that? What is that thing that that we're feeling, that we're sensing? We'd be talking to maybe one of the groups that we were interfacing with and, and there was just some little bit of something that wasn't going well. There's a little bit of strain and he would pay attention to the tension. Guys, we got to pay attention to the tension. There was one time before a meeting started, a guy was just kind of sharing off the cuff, just just some things going on at home, some troubles going on at home. And I'm watching Jeff sitting at the end of the table and he's rubbing his chin and he's he's nodding his head real fast. And I'm like counting down in my head. Oh, here it comes. Three, two, one. You got to pay attention to the tension, brother. You got to pay attention to the tension. And he just said it all the time. And so finally I asked him, Jeff, where did that come from? Like, what what is that about? What do you mean when, when you say that? And he, he said this to me, when you experience tension, I think it's a profound window to peer into something deeper and learn. God gives me tension all the time over things, and when I pay attention to it and I take the time to unwrap it, he usually, usually teaches me something pretty huge. I love that, pay attention to the tension. Pay attention to the tension, because what's the alternative? ignore it, just pretend that, that it's not there, just, just push it aside and, and, and hope that it'll go away? How does that play out? How, how does that go for us in our lives when we don't pay attention to the tension, when we just kind of push it aside? You see, I think pay attention to the tension. It's not only a what is God trying to teach me in this moment, but I think it's, it's a question of quality of life. See, the opposite of tension is peace, something that we all want, something that we all crave. And yet we live in a world that that right now, maybe more than ever, is just 
filled and just loaded with tensions. And so it just leaves us just kind of wondering, is peace even possible? The last few weeks, we've had some pretty intense sermons and messages here, and it has kicked up a certain amount of, of dust for a number of us. It's brought up some, some new tensions or renewed tensions. A couple of people wrote me asking similar questions after I spoke about divorce and marriage a few weeks ago, and the, the basic idea of the, the questions kind of boiled down to this, what do I do? If my spouse just has no interest in working on anything and has no desire to change. Oh, that's a tough one. I mean, that, that's, that's a legitimate tension. I mean, I, I'm leaning in to, to the truth of God's word and what God's calling to me and how he has called for us to, you know, in our marriage, emulate that Christ is Christ, love the church, love your spouse. I'm trying to do that whole thing. And yet I have this, my spouse over here who's just not budging and not willing to move. What am I supposed to do with that? It's attention. Some of you, a couple of weeks ago, as Kondo spoke about loving your enemies, you identified an enemy, someone that you just struggle to love. And, and we heard from a number of you just asking, left asking the question, what am I supposed to do with this relationship? I, I, I see what you're saying. I see what God's calling me to, but this, this, is, this is hard. And again, some of us in just a few days are going to be sitting around the table with people who they themselves are the definition and root of tension for us. So what do we do with our tensions? Let's look at Romans 12. The Apostle Paul has some pretty challenging and unique thoughts on tension. And um, what we're going to do is we're going to start uh, this morning at the end of verse 18. I'm, I'm going to build back into the whole verse, but I want to start at the very end. And he, he says this at the very end, Romans 12, 18, live at peace with everyone. Live at peace with everyone. Some of us hear that and, and we think, Live at peace with everyone. Yeah, right. Okay, Paul clearly doesn't have a mother-in-law, okay? Like, what? Live at peace with everybody? He doesn't have a roommate. He's never experienced what I've experienced. He doesn't have the boss that I have. Come on, Paul. Live at peace with everyone? How in the world? I mean, that it just feels like the most utopian pie in the sky. There's no way that that works today. Live at peace with everyone? And yet, if we don't take a moment to understand Paul, I think we miss the power of his words here. I mean, you want to talk about tension. Paul was Captain Tension, and he was navigating the just choppy waters of tense relationships. Now, he was an educated man, uh, highly influential. And before he became a follower of Jesus and wrote half of the New Testament, the letters that we often read and we study, Paul hated Christians, hated them. They were offensive to him, offensive to his way of life. They threatened his way of life. Everything that he'd grown up learning, everything that he was about, his system of life and religion was being threatened and splintered by Christians. And so he wanted to wipe them out. He led the charge on just shutting down Jesus' followers. He led the charge on what it meant 
to get some of the Jesus followers arrested, some of them killed. That's who Paul was until one day on a journey, this blinding light from heaven shines down. I mean, literally blinds him. And he hears the voice of Jesus say, why are you persecuting me? And in this moment, Paul's entire life, the trajectory of his life, the direction of his life literally changes. It just turns around. And, and, and Jesus leads him to forgiveness. Jesus leads him to redemption. Jesus draws him in to a relationship. It says in, in a verse about his story where this, there was like literal scales that fell off his eyes and as if he could see clearly. His life changed forever. And he goes from the guy wanting to wipe out Christianity to one of the foundational pioneering building blocks of the church as we know it today. So you want to talk about a guy that knows about tension? Imagine some of his first meetings with the disciples and with Jesus' followers, probably just slightly awkward with a huge serving of tension. I mean, think about it. He is now meeting and gathering and trying to form community with some of these people who he had arrested. He's now walking with, traveling with, hanging out with people whose lives were in hiding and on the run because of Paul's pursuit of them. He was even perhaps sitting with some people, some family, some friends of people that he had played a role in having killed. And he's now sitting with these people seeking out and desiring community. And then think about the other side of his story. You see, Paul was leading the charge on what it meant to wipe out the Christians, and he had a lot of religious leaders and people that were behind him and partnering with him and cheering him on. And now all his peers and colleagues on that side, he has now become a sworn enemy to them. So we have a guy who's living up to his eyeballs in unbelievable amounts of tension. And he says, live at peace with everyone. I can't imagine how hard that must have been for him. I can't imagine the journey that he went through and what it meant to just iron out stuff with people. And I know for us today, the temptation can be like, okay, yeah, I, I, can, I can, you know, deal with some tension. But I mean, there are just some people, no way. There's no way. I can't, I can't do it. I can't, there's no, and I think we have here in Paul someone who could sit with you and say, I, I get it. It's unbelievably hard. But I would encourage you to live at peace with everyone. A couple of important things, some thoughts that are kind of building blocks to this verse. Going back to the beginning, verse 18, he says, If it is possible, live at peace with everyone. If it is possible, live at peace with everyone. If it is possible, what does that mean? Sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's not 
possible. I've tried, I've done everything I can and it just doesn't work. It just doesn't work with me and this person. It doesn't matter what I do. It doesn't matter what I say. I mean, I don't know, maybe there's something else I could do. I'm certainly open to that, but I have tried. It's just not working. And again, considering Paul, I would imagine there were some people in his life because of his circumstances, because of his history, he just couldn't establish peace with them. They just couldn't get over the reality of the story. But, but he tried. And there's probably other people that he say, there were people that I thought, there's no way I'll have peace with them. And yet these people are some of my closest family now. And so you don't know until you try. If it is possible, live at peace with everyone. Paul has another statement in this verse that, that's huge and it's kind of the big idea here. Again, verse 18, if it is possible as far as it depends on you. Live at peace with everyone. As far as it depends on you. This is such a powerful phrase. When you have tension with someone, when when there's tension with someone, where do you spend the majority of your energy in that relationship? Focusing on them. Focusing on the other person, on their issue, on the thing that they brought to the table. Oh man, they did this. They said this. She did this. He said that. And we get ramped up and we just kind of cross our arms and we put ourselves in a posture of like, nope, I'm done. I'm done. I don't have anything to do with that person. And we go, you know what? If, if they would change, if they would be different, if they would pay me back, if they wouldn't be so selfish... Well, then maybe, maybe then we could have a relationship. And I think Paul would sit and he would plead with us to reconsider our posture. But I don't don't want to, I, I get it. But in a relationship, what can you control? In life, what is it that you can truly control? You. You, the only thing that you can control is you, your side, your part of the story. You may not be able to do anything about them, but you can always do something about you. Stop talking about them and start, start talking about you. Let's, let's focus on me, the person in the mirror. What can I do? Ask yourself, what depends on me. What depends on me? When it comes to relational tension, what depends on me? In your tension, can, can, can you take a moment where you, where you put down your rights? You, you, you put down your feelings and desire to, to, to have justice, to be, to be justified and, and hold on to that because we'll talk about that in a minute. But can you step into the other person's perspective and just try to empathize, try to process how it is that they feel? What is it that they are experiencing? What is it that maybe you brought to the table? Maybe you ignited something or you poured gas on something that was already ignited in the tension. Is there something that you can do about that? What depends on you? Can you own that? Can you apologize for that? 
Now, I'm not saying you excuse everything and you just wipe the slate clean and you let it all go, but can you own the pieces that depend on you, your slice of the pie? Maybe it's a really small slice of the pie, but can you own those pieces, the pieces that depend on you? In this statement, there, there, there's another thought here, as far as it depends on me, as far as, as in there's a distance to this thing. It's measurable, so to speak. And you might be saying, I've, I've already done so much. I've, I've already tried. I've already put up with so much. And I think what Paul would ask us is, can you go any further? Can you go any further? Can you take one more step? towards peace in the relationship. And I realize some of us may be asking, but when is enough enough? I mean, at what point does it become irresponsible for me to continue to keep leaning in and continue to keep going forward? And yes, sometimes, as we said at the beginning, there are relationships that it's not possible to live at peace. There are people in our lives that, that, that need and require boundaries some people are just, they're too toxic. They're too out of control. They're, they're too manipulative. I've said this before and I'll say it again. If you are in an emotionally or a physically abusive relationship, you need to get out and get help until there can be a sense of safety and healing. There need to be boundaries. We, the elders, the, the, the staff, the leadership of the church, we, we want to help you to take steps in processing some of what that looks like. And, and we just need you to ask. But for many of us, in a lot of the situations that we're facing, in a lot of the tension that we're living in relationally, can we go further? We'll talk about what that will look like and some practical steps we can take forward if we're willing. But let's continue on in the passage. Verse 19, Paul says, Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. This year, we have spent a bunch of time, um, our, our, our church leadership and staff, working through and reworking every job description, every role in the church. And some of our incredibly just talented, gifted, detail-oriented people have worked page by page, document by document, and, and we have sat through and held meetings with our lead team and with our elders to, to process through it all. And then we've had staff meetings, all staff meetings, where everyone has sat together and we've, we've talked about some of these things. And then we've had department meetings where we've talked about them as departments. And then direct report meetings where we've talked one-on-one -on -one and we just looked through this and poured over this. Why? To make sure that we know our roles and that we are all in agreement on what that looks like. And it's obvious stuff, but having these routines to step back and to evaluate our roles and how we are doing can be the difference in just going through the motions and missing each other versus moving forward successfully. And what Paul does for us in verse 18 and verse 19 is he puts down the job description and he reminds us of our roles. In verse 18, it's all about us and the pursuit of peace. We are to be the peacemakers. In verse 19, he quotes Deuteronomy, where the Lord says, it is mine to avenge, I will repay. And Paul says, look, you focus on peace. You focus on everything as far as it depends on you. But payback, justice, wrath, that is God's role. 
Do not be confused. Know your role in the story. And yet we put so much energy back into our tensions, demanding payback, demanding justice, looking for revenge. And Paul would say, wrong role, wrong role. You're wasting your energy. You're only making things worse for yourself. And you know this. How many times have you heard revenge stories? How many times did the victim pour everything they had into getting justice? They got to the end and it just didn't feel as good as they thought. In fact, it left them feeling more empty than before. It didn't have this satisfying end. What Paul is saying is, is don't step into the wrong role. Know your role in the story. There is actually something Paul recommends doing. And I, and I think this is where we can get really practical in helping to take steps forward towards peace. Now, this is going to sound super crazy at first, so, so hang with me. Verse 20. On the contrary, as in instead of in, uh, seeking revenge, do this instead. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed them. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Man, I love the Bible. That's so weird. Okay, so if your enemy is hungry, make him a sandwich. Get him a Subway. Like, pile it up, make it great. If he's thirsty, get him a cold one. And by cold one, of course, I mean ice water with a lemon wedge. Like, come on. Okay. And then when he's not looking, just build a massive bonfire. I mean, get it just crazy piping hot and go down in there, like right in the center of fire, scoop out some burning coals and then throw them on his head. Ha, got you, burned, literally. Yes, I win. As hilarious and illegal as that may be, Paul's not advocating for this sort of holy sneak attack to somehow bring about peace. You know, like, oh, hey, guys, it, Man, good to see you together. I, I thought you had like serious beef with one another. Oh yeah, totes, totes. And then John lit my head on fire and now we're all good. So what Paul is doing here is he's quoting Proverbs 25. And what he's saying is, is essentially this. Look, do you have tension in the relationship? Someone who you are struggling to love and they are definitely not loving you. I mean, maybe just a straight up enemy. Look, if it's possible for you to take a step towards this person, then do it. Just start serving them. Take notice of their life. Look at their needs and serve. <laughs> As Paul puts it, light some heads on fire. You see, when you do this, it's going to be so unexpected. It will become so uncomfortable. It will be as if you poured hot burning coals on their head. Paul is encouraging action that the Lord can use to open up his work of conviction. What, what, what he's saying is if you, if you can do this, the Lord can do his work of opening eyes and softening hearts. Think about this. And I know this will be a stretch for many of us because we have a room full of just amazing, incredibly kind, loving people. But some of those very rare, rare times that you're just being a jerk. Think about that, okay? Super stubborn, just crabby, mean. You're, you're in a mood, all right? And someone comes up to you and they just say something really genuinely thoughtful and kind to you. Or they come up and they just do something just 
really thoughtful. I don't know about you, but man, that stings. That has this just convicting thing to it. Why? Because I don't deserve it. I don't deserve that kindness or that love. And when that happens, the shame and the conviction of that moment is like a wake-up call to the reality of sin, to the reality of an unwillingness to step into a relationship to resolve peace. Do you want to turn around relationships that are soaked in tension? Pray, pray, pray for that person. And then ask God for opportunities to show them love and kindness. And again, know your role. Your role is to be the peacemaker. Now, don't pour out the kindness and then just kind of go and peer around the corner and like wait for the, you know, flaming head thing to happen. Just pour out kindness and trust God to take it from there. And what we're talking about here is shifting the tension in the relationship so that you can begin to find freedom. Because again, in this sort of moment and and movement towards them and serving them, what you're doing is you're taking the eyes off of you, off of your circumstance. You're starting to peer in, you're you're looking for needs, you're searching out needs, you're going towards this person. And when you do that, you can begin to be freed from the bondage of tense relationships. A friend of mine once said, you may not be able to experience peace in the relationship, but you can experience peace about the relationship. And the pursuit of peace is always a worthwhile pursuit. Always. There will be dividends. It may not fully restore the relationship. Things may not all go right back to where they were, but a pursuit of peace, I believe, is something that God will bless. And in that, you can begin to find freedom. And I know for some of us, there are years and years and years of bondage to tense relationships. God wants to free you of that. You may not be able to restore and fix the relationship, but you can have peace about it. And finally, verse 21. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Listen, when it comes to tension in the relationship, we have a couple of choices. We we can let the tension own us, define us, define the relationship, or we can do everything in our power and in the power of Christ Jesus in us to pursue peace. And tension is something the enemy can use to keep us in bondage and eventually destroy us. Or we can commit to fight back even when some of the people in our lives don't deserve it. A friend was telling me the other day about getting ready to host Thanksgiving and they have some room at their table, room in their home and thought, you know what, we should invite somebody to join our family. So they just kind of put their radar up for that and, and just kind of looking around and, and praying about it. And the Lord gave them a name and they went, mm, no, not them. And they just kept looking like, you know, okay, so maybe somebody else. And, you know, it just kept coming up and kept coming up and kept coming up. And, and, and the issue was the tension that they brought, the drama that they brought with them. And yet they decided to give that invite. 
They, they decided to lean in to, to what it looks like that as far as it depends on them, they were going to do something about the relationship. They were going to step forward in the relationship. And it doesn't mean that their time is going to be perfect or tension-free, but it does mean that they can take a step closer in peace and knowing that they are doing everything they can to pursue this hard relationship. That's paying attention to the tension. That's a snapshot of what that looks like. And I just wonder for all of us here this morning, is there a relationship? Is there someone where we need to be paying attention to the tension in our lives? In this holiday season, whether it's this week or it's Christmas or any time in between, is there an opportunity for you to connect with, to take a step forward, to do everything as far as it depends on you to live at peace? with that person. See, I believe when we take the high road and peacefully strive to, to serve our enemies in our tense relationship, God will use it to further his kingdom. And through our lives, he can fight back the evil and the injustice in this world. All we need to do is to step into our role and pay attention to the tension. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so very much for your gracious, unending love for us. I thank you for Jesus Christ and the freedom that we find in him. And Father, this morning, I am so grateful that while we were yet sinners, Jesus gave his life up for us. He leaned into the tension. He stepped forward in the relationship so that we could find peace with you. God, may we just know and own that part of our story so that we could be led to be people who love because you first loved us. And through that, God, may you build and grow your kingdom and may glory be brought to your name. I pray for us even this week as we step into thanksgiving with loved ones and, and possibly tense relationships. God, Lead us, give us courage, help us to be people who bring peace. In Christ's name, amen.